Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. Yay, I love Funk Radio. I thought you were going to say, yay, I love Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Peter, we've been (laughs) doing this for, what is it, seven? I think we just passed our seventh birthday. Yes. Of the show. And I forgot, I totally forgot to post about it on the Facebook page. 257 episodes and you finally confess your love for me he still hasn't popped the question <laughs> um i will i will i will pose a question kyle uh what yes. are we talking about today uh we're talking about something very strange i don't know how i forgot how this topic came up but we had written down oh i know how it came about well i'll oh. let you introduce it though yeah um we had we had written down in our little i don't know google doc that we write down episode ideas just what does music smell like and i thought that was such a weird bizarre thing i wanted to see if there was actually anything there to like make an episode out of and Mm -hmm. apparently there is so we're going to talk about it Ooh, science hopefully yeah yeah i uh so i think where this idea came from was when we were talking about uh how loud is too loud the whole topic about volume recently and then you said that when you hear really loud things that you smell burnt toast or something (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's like they're gonna find out like years later that's like the signs of a stroke or something yeah Uh, i think yeah yeah, i think that's how it came about no i remember that i remember like whenever i'm spooked by like a really really unexpected loud sound like when i go to play something through headphones and i don't realize the volume's on max Mm. Sometimes it triggers like this weird olfactory thing where like I smell, I don't know, like, you know, like when you smell something like really pungent, like horseradish, you get that like weird tingly feeling in your nose. Mm. It, it It's like that. It's hard to describe. So it sounds like you actually found some stuff about this then, which is. Yeah, uh, a little bit at least. I mean, it's it's sort of correlated with the idea of what does music smell like um but we'll we'll get more into that as the episode goes on so basically i i had to kind of broaden what i was thinking of rather than just simply music and i started looking Mm -hmm. into like you know what does sound smell like or what are the what's the association between sound and smell Mm -hmm. so before we talk about it i wanted to pose a couple of questions just food for thought when people smell things, you know, can they hear music or hear sounds that they associate with that smell, whether, whether that be like a trigger of a memory or something? So are you saying like if someone smells um, cotton candy, do they start hearing like carnival music? Yeah. Because of some childhood memory? Yeah, yeah. Or like, do you ever associate sounds or smells uh, sounds with smells when you're thinking about past memories. Like if you hear a sound that reminds you of something from your past, does it trigger like almost like a smell memory along with it? So if so, if you hear the the laughter of children, does it take you back to that carnival? And then when you hear the laughter of children, you smell cotton candy. I have a feeling that uh, did the carnival hurt you as a child, Peter? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of an example. Who hurt you? Was it Mr. Wiggles? (laughs) This took a really dark turn. As our episodes always do. Mm. 
So yeah, I, this is kind of a, a question posed to you as well as I guess the listeners. Like, have you ever had like a smell that triggers like a memory from your past and you then kind of associate sound with that? I feel like mm. I'm triggered a lot by smells. I I think I've had situations where certain smells have taken me back to certain things. Mm-hmm. Speaking independently, just about sound, I don't. I would have to think more about whether that's happened with sound. Now, as in terms of smelling something, I I don't think I've like heard anything in my head as a result of that, though. Yeah, I, uh, personally, I I never thought about that either. Smells definitely seem to trigger memories for me a lot more than maybe sounds do. Um, for example, I was, I forgot where I was the other day. I think it was at Target or the grocery store or something. And there was this old man in front of me and he was wearing a very pungent cologne, like old man cologne. And yeah. it triggered like a memory of me being at my grandparents' house when I was a kid because their whole, uh, house kind of had that same like old people smell. <laughs> Not like, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's like that, like aqua velva you know kind of pungent old people fragrance that seemed to be used a lot back in the day hmm. oh, all old people smell the same don't you know that okay so 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 um when i was kind of looking into this idea of associating uh sound and smell i came across this um i guess psychological term called synesthesia and what it's defined as is a perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to automatic involuntarily involuntary excuse me experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway um the word so comes basically from, a in uh an involuntary connection of two different senses yes interesting the word, for those of you that care, comes from two Greek words, sin, which is means together, and estasis, which means perception. So, perception together. So, I guess the way that this can be described, because it's not necessarily always the association of, you know, smell and sound. It could be the association of sm- sound and sight, or sight and smell, or sight and touch, I don't know. But... It's uh, the way that it's described is like, imagine see, uh, you could see your favorite song or you could see a certain color. And when, when you see that color, it evokes a smell. Some people claim that they actually have this set, this multi cross sense phenomenon where people have been noted to say like, you know, when I see numbers, I associate certain colors with certain numbers or I associate colors with sound, or sound with smell, or whatever. And apparently this phenomenon is fairly well documented. It's as as a sort of condition that a small number of people in the population have. Um, Oh, so not everybody can experience it then? Or at least does by default? No, this isn't something that, like everyone experiences this is something that uh, okay is is uh experienced by a small number of people uh in the population i mean if everyone went around saying hey, when i see when i see the number eight i th- i see blue they'd probably be like what the fuck are you on hmm. i see so this this is i mean i imagine this is the sort of thing where like everybody has the uh what do you call it like the neurological 
potential for this, but then it only makes that connection in these exactly. certain people. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, earlier on when I asked you, like, you know, do do you associate memories with sounds? You know, I wasn't expecting necessarily a yes because it's actually a, it is a phenomenon that happens in people, but it's not very common. Uh, okay. So yeah, the, this this concept concept of synesthesia is is a fairly well documented sort of psychological phenomenon. However, it doesn't happen in a lot of people. The interesting thing mm-hmm. I found when kind of digging into this is that 70, uh, roughly 75% of people that have been found to have synesthesia are women. And mm-hmm. left-handed people are actually more probable to have it than right-handed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Maybe that's why I smell burnt toast when I hear loud sounds, because I'm left-handed. Who knows? <laughs> so, although synesthesia is uh, termed a neurological condition, it's actually not listed in the DSM-4, which is like the overall manual uh, identifying different psychological disorders that's used by psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, Is it too new to be in the most recent DSM? No, basically it's it's not identified as a psychological problem because it even though some mm. people do identify with having it it doesn't actually really interfere with their day-to-day living i see so it's, other... it's just like more of a th- it's just a thing yeah for lack of better scientific yeah. description it's not like a uh something that really affects people psychologically exactly it's like it's like if someone has a photographic memory you know that's a cool thing it's a really rare thing that most people yeah. don't have but it doesn't necessarily negatively affect them or their okay. life, like, say, schizophrenia or something. Got it. The estimates of the prevalence of synesthesia have w- varied pretty widely, partially because most of the documented cases have been people self-identifying as oh, okay. having this disorder, as it's sort of hard to, you know, what's the word? I don't want to say prove, but it's it's hard to diagnose without a person basically saying, like, yes, I've associated these things. So the range is basically all over the place. It's anything from one in four people having it to about one in a hundred (laughs) thousand. So pretty, pretty, pretty wide gamut. Yeah, because this is going to be be my next question of, uh, you know, how common is it? But I guess it's hard to really nail that down. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The most accurate study I was able to find as far as like trying to determine the prevalence of it is um, a study uh, at the Glasgow University that uh, studied 500 people recruited from the area and it showed a prevalence within those 500 people, again, small sample size, of -hmm. about 4.4% with people having nine different variations of synesthesia. Because as I said, it's, Mm -hmm. it's can be the association of any two or even multiple senses. Oh, I see. Usually when people think, you know, how our senses work, we kind of imagine them operating individually. Mm-hmm. But it's actually kind of more complicated than that. Our senses can often mix in more ways than we realize. Uh, even among people that don't have it, don't have synesthesia necessarily. I think synesthesia is often like the overactivity of the brain mixing different sensory inputs if that makes sense that Mm. can cause the brain to like make associations that normal people don't necessarily make but 
Um, as we'll get into in a little bit here, there actually has been studies that show that in pretty much all people, there is a greater link between sound and smell than we realized, or we previously mm. realized, I guess. The most prominent study that I found uh, regarding this is from these uh, two New York researchers, Daniel Wesson and Donald Wilson, both DW. Dan and Don. Dan and Don. And they were actually kind of confronted with this fact when they were trying to study something else that didn't necessarily link the two. They were studying this area of the brain known as the olfactory tubercle. The olfactory tubercle in the brain is a multi-sensory processing center that is contained within the olfactory cortex. My brain hurts. That's your olfactory tubercle kicking in. Exactly. So this olfactory tubercle, is this kind of like the CPU of the senses and it takes the inputs of any combination of the senses and then and then basically okay here's the yeah kind of disseminates disseminates to other parts of the brain like here's how you should react to this information yeah kind of that's actually a bit of a good way of putting it like the input is like the smell of corn dogs and then the output is like hey wave your wave your hands around and scream were you at a carnival recently no i no. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was I'm, at anything I'm resembling go- a carnival. I'm, go- I'm going like full Freud here. <laughs> uh, okay, so they, so Dan and Don found this whole thing, or I guess they were investigating it. Yeah, they were basically trying to study this olfactory tubercle, and they were they when they were doing this, they were studying mice, uh, and they found that among individual cells, brain cells, in mice. Um, most responded to odor when they, you know, were triggered, but a significant number were also active when a tone was played. And they found that some brain cells in the olfactory tubercle behave differently when a smell and a sound were presented together by either increasing or suppressing their activity. I see. So it, it the response to one of those senses firing off was different from if both were at once. Yes. Okay. So yeah, they would, you know, they would trigger an odor. They would see certain, you know, cell areas in the brain light up. Uh, and then they would trigger an odor and a tone or odor and a sound. And they would see mm-hmm. different senses light up. And so they were like, well, that's weird. So they thought that maybe, you know, this was some sort of evolutionary sense behind this where, for example, the sound of movement accompanied by an unfamiliar smell could alert you to the presence of a predator. Okay. They published their findings in the Journal of Neuroscience where they were able to verify uh, that the tubercle does actually respond to smell as well as sound. Um, And they found that 65% of the tubercle cells from these mice were activated by at least one of five odors that they presented, Hmm. which I guess was an important finding, you know, in and of itself, because nobody knew before then that tubercle cells could discriminate odors. They thought it was just like, you know, an on or off binary thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, they thought that the process was actually exclusive to a different part of the brain called the puriform cortex. So they basically were realizing that this olfactory tubercle was actually, as you said, 
more uh, prominent or determinant in uh, how the brain reacts to senses than they previously thought. Hmm. <laughs> they they dubbed this this you know the reaction to smell and sound simultaneously. They dubbed it a smound, which hmm. or a smound sense, which basically is the the idea that this olfactory tubercle is triggered in a different way when sound and smell are presented together as opposed to separately. Which, I mean, I guess kind of seems sort of common sense. You know, if you hear a scary sound and smell, I don't know, something... Pancakes. (laughs) Pancakes. Then you're going to be like, oh my god, what was that terrible sound? But also pancakes. As opposed to just hearing a scary sound. Or or you may see pancakes and start to get nervous. Yeah, like pancakes. Or you may like hear a, that sound and then start to salivate. Exactly, pancakes become like a trigger from like that point forward. So you see pancakes and you go into the fetal position. Um. So, yeah, basically, as is, as they noted in their study, mice aren't people, so they're still wanting to determine if this is has similar reactions in humans. But yeah, they they basically were. Uh, we're saying that this discovery could have kind of interesting implications. Uh, an example they gave is they were looking into the idea of patenting a device that emits a tone into the ear of a dog um, every time that it sniffs, which may be able to enhance its sensitivity to, say, explosives, like bomb-sniffing dogs. Basically because they found that the sensory stimuli when a sound and a tone are associated together is higher than when they're separate it may introduce a pavlovian response where the dogs you know similar to the dogs hearing a bell and associating food the dogs hear a tone and associate the act of them smelling so it might it may heighten their smell sensitivity i guess is that yeah i was gonna say is that purely for the training process i guess because like uh you know if you're training a dog to smell a bomb or Mm -hmm. however that works do they play the sound for the dog while it's smelling the bomb so that it kind of more strongly reinforces that connection that's because obviously they're not gonna like play the sound for that dog later and dog's like oh shit there's a bomb (laughs) that's a good question it's like do they play the sound whenever the dog is sniffing just to kind of reinforce its smell discovery i guess or do they only play it when the dog correctly identifies a bomb to kind of reinforce positively you know this is what a bomb cell smells like you associate it with this sound in your head so it creates a stronger connection that's a good question i don't know Hmm. man i'm hungry um do you, do you so, have a connection that whenever we talk about funk radio that you want pancakes? Yes. That's my secret, Peter. I always want pancakes. <laughs> uh, before we go any further, Kyle, let's go ahead and take a short commercial break and then we'll be right back. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Peter. Do you know what a website is? No. It's a thing on the internet and you can go there and it's fun. Is that where I can find things to do yes you can find things to do there uh 
getyourfunk.com is a website for funk radio and there are, you can find our, our episodes there and you can listen to them and you can download them and we have a tip jar do you like money Kyle? I love money well people will give us money there at getyourfunk.com yay <laughs> do you have a favorite episode of funk radio? I like the one about butts well at getyourfunk.com you can use the search bar and type in butts and it'll pull up our episode that we did a while back about butts Yay! And now back to our previously scheduled content. Okay, so we are back. So yeah, the I guess the implications of this discovery of uh, the brain creating stronger connections, I guess, when sound and smell are associated, can have kind of interesting implications outside of, you know, even just, you know, do- bomb-sniffing dogs. One implication that was brought up was, I guess, the idea of a creative collaboration between musicians and chefs where food and taste can be enhanced through sound, where, say, you know, they they do studies to find, you know, what sounds elicit stronger, I guess, taste sensory overloads Mm -hmm. in people to encourage them to eat more or buy more food. Or like their food more, so it's like you're eating a you know a three course meal, and okay when when the guy plays the the high pitched flute, you got to eat those uh, berries, and then you get like that tingling from the berries while you're hearing this flute. Uh, so weird. Yes. Way to think about it, but is it but is it like okay like the is it the, would the point be that like people have all this food in front of them and then they like they eat the certain foods while they're hearing different parts of the music and that is supposed to like enhance those flavors yeah i guess the idea is like depending on the type of music or tone or whatever that they're playing it can alter a person's taste perceptions because Hmm. they're now kind of mixing that perception of sound and taste together um interestingly uh, I'm in the original article that I found this study being uh, being referenced in. There's a second, I guess I don't want to call this a fully scientific study, but just kind of interesting. Um, a group of scientists uh, at Oxford uh, they took people to like a like a toffee place, and they put together different what they called soundscapes. Uh, corresponding to bitterness or sweetness of different toffee types. Mm. So, and they had the participants taste the different toffee while playing each soundscape, and they found that um, the people described the toffee as more bitter or more sweet, depending on the soundtrack they were listening to, which is kind of interesting. And at the end, they were like, oh, joke's on you, all the toffee was the same. So, maybe, who knows? <laughs> yeah, they pull, pulled like one of those like Pepsi, Pepsi tests, Pepsi taste test or whatever. Hmm. So that 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 sounds um, pretty similar to what I was guessing with the yeah the dinner yeah. thing. Exactly. So yeah, they found that they could elicit different taste responses based on sound that the people were associating with those tastes. Hmm. That's what we should. That's I was going to say. That should be the next episode. What does music taste like? <laughs> so I guess some 
what do you call it, uh, questions that, you know, I wanted to discuss after I laid all this out. First of all, I guess, Peter, now that we know the definition of synesthesia, do you know anybody that has that? No, I've never heard of this before or any kind of connection between sound and smell. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I, I've never, not, this is something I've never come across before. Yeah, me either. I mean, as we said, it's, it seems like a fairly uncommon thing. I, you know, the best guess is about 4% of the population. So considering I have two whole friends, that means I'll, <laughs> I have a very low chance of discovering one. Well, it, it could be, too, that, like, you meet someone, you know, here or there, but you, they don't necessarily introduce yeah, themselves by saying, exactly. hey, the number eight smells like blue. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Something like that isn't something that, even if you had synesthesia, you would just run around advertising, because I'm sure people would probably be like, you're crazy. Uh, another one, another uh, thought I had about this is, with associating sound with smells is whether someone's a synesthesia... I don't know what you call class, call someone who has that synesthesiate um, or not... How does the phenomenon of smell associate with music creation? And, like, do mm. musicians get inspired by certain smells when they're writing songs or composing songs? Are you, are you saying if they have synesthesia, do they have uh, that extra layer of I'm even saying creativity? Or? I'm even saying outside of synesthesia, you know, uh, because this this other study kind of proves that outside of that, there's there's a natural link between these two senses um, in the olfactory tubercle. That's fun to say. Good band name. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another thing I forgot to mention. They found, too, that people that were more creatively inclined were more likely to also be synesthesiates. Huh. So. I wonder if that uh, has... That must have something to do with, like, having more... Um, in some like you could say that creative people have more uh d defined reactions to certain senses and sensory experiences maybe um, yeah yeah i don't know if exactly. that's true but i could imagine that so yeah i was just kind of curious and just thinking out loud like you know do do musicians you know because they're more com uh they're more likely to be have synesthesia and in general, they're just more likely to associate different senses together. Do musicians get inspired by certain smells, like when they're doing stuff in the studio? Like, I don't like know. Like weed? To, yeah, maybe. Or they have to, like, light a certain candle fragrance to, like, get in the mood to write music. I don't know. Huh. Um, I don't know. So, food for thought. Um Another thing I was thinking of was like kind of like what other applications does this discovery of the connection between sound and smell have like like maybe we were kind of you know expounding on it before you know where when it comes to smell to sound and taste you know you can influence someone's taste receptiveness I guess by sound I, I suppose you can do the same with smell and sound so like if someone has a really annoying voice, like me, um, if they wear a nice cologne, do you then associate that pleasant smell with their voice and therefore their voice sounds more pleasant? 
I was trying to think of like, um, well, for one, personally, I, I think the, I, I like the restaurant idea mm-hmm. of like having that unique experience of getting that uh, musical accentu- accentuation to the meal. Um, if that worked, I, I think if it didn't, it would just be like, all right, I want to listen to music while I'm eating my, mm-hmm. you know, it's, whatever. it's funny. It's funny. You should mention that because, um, I forget the name of it. There's a restaurant in LA where you eat in the dark. Oh, I've heard idea, of that. Where it's like pitch the, black the entire time. Yeah, and the idea being that by limiting your visual perception, your other senses are heightened. Mm-hmm. So taste and smell. I know, I know for people that are blind, they've they've often said similar things because the brain's really good at compensating for uh, a lack of you know certain inputs it allows them to be more receptive to other inputs Uh, yeah and sight is probably the most like the one that's take the sense of ours that takes in the most information at any given time so losing that i feel like could really heighten the other ones the one other thing i was thinking of possibly Mm -hmm. but i don't know if this would really be a thing um is you know, we were, we were joking about traumatic experiences, but, like, if someone somehow did have that connection between two senses, and you know, and it was tied to a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. could more understanding of this field perhaps help that person move forward from that or recover from it psychologically if we had more understanding of that, how Yeah, this that's stuff a works. good point, I like... Could you could you possibly nu- neutralize certain triggers in the brain yeah. that associate a sound with a bad memory and replace it with like a sound with a good memory or something? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. So the last one I wanted to bring up because was just kind of this interesting idea that I f- I found a couple different articles talking about it, but it was more just they were more just talking about like the uh, people's attempts to do it uh is the idea of like can you bottle the smell of music or like in 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 essence like can you create a perfume or cologne or scent that people associate with either different genres of music or maybe just the act of being at a concert Mm -hmm. it kind of has interesting implications for i guess like the fragrance industry like what does country music smell like or what does hip hop music smell like or what does metal smell like and can you target different fragrances to people based on their musical preferences you know the funny thing about this is that you theoretically could do this like for real mm-hmm. um in the sense that you if you um cuz i i was Listening to some podcasts fairly within the past couple of weeks where they're talking about smells. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the context was, but basically they were saying that through research of other people in the past, like you've they've figured out that you can more or less cover the whole range of smell spectrum with like I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was like 120 different like base odors, and mm-hmm. then you could combine those in different ways to really create anything you want. And so if you had some kind of setup like that, but then you tied each of those different scents to, say, different instruments or different 
just different aspects of music. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that all linked up, then you would bring in some experimental, you know, musical artists and say, okay, uh, create a piece of music that uses this system. And then you would get unique, like you would end up getting a unique song that smelled one way or elicited certain things that another one would smell completely different. Hmm. So that's not, that wouldn't be, that's just me talking out my ass. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not really like a naturally occurring, occurring phenomenon in the brain. That would be something you would train yourself with a very specific system. No, that is a, that is an interesting concept. Like if you associate a certain fragrance with bass or a certain fragrance with like a horn section yeah. depending on the prevalence of those instruments in a song you could create a song where or create a fragrance excuse me where the amount of different ingredients corresponds with the instruments or tempo or whatever in a song that's kind of interesting yeah and you could retroactively do it with existing songs too because you know if you get all if you blend this whole library of jazz music mm-hmm. um you might get that like oh it w- within this system jazz tends to smell like blueberries um <laughs> yeah no th- i think i think that's interesting i think we yeah. need to f- we need <laughs> if we were be- like fragrance makers we should create like an algorithm for this and make billions of dollars it would uh it would be very interesting i don't know what the practical application would be but uh you well you what if like this sounds really stupid what if when they sell vinyl albums, they have like a, I don't want to say scratch and sniff, but like <laughs> they imbue it or imbue the, whatever the sleeve it's in with the scent that's associated with the song. So then you associate that pleasant smell with the music after you listen to it and it creates huh. a heightened uh, positive association with the music. It could be a selling point. Like instead of smell a vision, it's like smell a listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, I'm I have a vague memory because I was talking. I was said I had listened to a podcast about the whole that smell aspect. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was called, but they were talking about, um, and I believe it was in the context of something else. But they were talk. They had mentioned that in the '90s, someone had come up with the idea of like basically smell a vision, but for the internet. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I know, right? And that's why it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but I think that was where they had figured out, like, they had these, you know, collection of different smells and then different combinations would, you know, happen depending on what you were doing on the internet. Um, which s- <laughs> sounds horrible, just saying that. Um, so when people are shit posting, you just smell shit? <laughs> basically. I'm pretty sure that's what the entire internet smells like. Um, but... Like, I think the concept did work. Like, it didn't, it wasn't, you know, inherently flawed or anything. Like, it, it like, from a technical mm-hmm. standpoint, it was completely functional, but just nobody wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there, the technology is there, certainly, and that was probably, you know, 20 some years ago. Hmm. So, that's interesting. So, did it like, was it like an accessory you like plugged into your computer that like, I th- yeah, I squirted so. out, squirted out smells at you or something? Like, I'm curious. Oh, it was called the ice smell that was there. Of course it was, Jesus. It was just developed <laughs> 1999. by Apple. <laughs> yeah, the device contained a cartridge of 128 primary odors, which could be mixed to replicate natural and man-made odors. Huh. So I guess 
something like that connected with music. I guess you could do it that way. I'm I'm Googling this thing, and I just want to throw out some facts out there that make oh this hilarious, and I'm so glad you brought this up. Apparently in 2006, the iSmell was named, quote, one of the 25 worst tech products of all time <laughs> by PC Magazine, uh, which commented that, quote, few products literally stink, but this one did, <laughs> or at least it would have had it progressed beyond the prototype stage. The funny thing, too, is that this was called the iSmell, with the lowercase i, before the Apple iPad, iPod came out. So I wonder if, like, uh, Apple stole their whole idea of i-something from this. I'm surprised it wasn't called e-smell. I know, right? Um, cool. Huh. So, yeah, we're that, 25. That, that, yeah, I didn't want to derail it with that whole thing. But um, that product or others that are trying to be a thing nowadays, um, mm-hmm. there is some potential there for combining that with sound and even music. I can dig it. Well, that was interesting. I, I uh, hadn't known about any of this before. And like I said, I've never experienced it or known anyone who has. Yeah, me neither. Um, but if you listeners know someone who has synesthesia, or if you have it, tell us on Facebook. We'd be interested to know what the number eight smells like. You can talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. Or if you don't feel like talking to us, you can check out some of our other episodes at getyourfunk.com. Yay. So yeah, this is uh this has been your um smell centric host, Kyle. And this has been your smelly host, Peter. <laughs> I was trying not to say smelly host Kyle and I kinda like dug myself into a hole there, so Yeah. Uh join us next time on another episode of Funk Radio. Hopefully you found this uh interesting and smelly. And hopefully the, the sounds that we made by talking smelled good for you listeners. I hope so. Um, okay, bye. Bye. I love you. <laughs> <laughs>